Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, bringing you a unique perspective on the biggest races and talking points throughout the 2019 pro cycling season. I'm Graham Wilgos, and with it being the first show back, we've got a lot to talk about. A potential new sponsor for Team Sky, the first major stage race of the season, Paris-Nice, won with a cool head by Egan Bernal, thrills and spills at Torino Adratico, and we'll pick out some of the main men already flexing their muscles in what promises to be a truly exciting season ahead. With me, of course, is Bradley Wiggins. Hi, Brad. Hi. Uh, and it's also a warm welcome back to Adam Blythe. Adam. How are you doing? Um, Brad, let's start with you. It's it's your show, after all. How have you been? Been keeping yourself busy over the winter? Yeah, it's gone it's gone very quick. I mean, uh, it seems like yesterday we were sat here talking about World Championships, Volta Espana, and here we are at finish of Paris-Nice now, looking ahead to probably the, the real season start in terms of San Remo, Tour of Flanders, Paris-Roubaix, all this, and... Yeah, it's been good. I've been. I'm looking forward to it. I'm following it the season up to this point. You know, with anticipation. It's you know the the usual names are sort of ever present, but there's also some new names as we saw today, which we'll talk about. But um, yeah, now I'm not racing. It does seem to go a lot quicker. The the off season. I'm sure that's a bit different for Adam. <laughs> yeah, a lot different for me. I've only done two races, but we're so deep into the season now. But yeah, it's. Um short short winter nowadays but you're you've got a new team for this season adam as well i have yeah old team but new team i'm back in lotto sudal i started there so yeah nice to be back with them but it's good to be back nice to be back in a professional setup rather than the uh aqua blue colors so yeah it's good and i'm well i'm not deep into the season now but it's going quickly like brad said it goes very quick these days you know he's such a short winter and now i'm already into basically the classic starting so yeah sure and you've got a little bit more to contend with as well any anything uh, any any major personal news yeah got, uh, since we've been away got three kids now i had uh, twins seven days ago so yeah i'm uh, i'm buckled basically congratulations <laughs> uh, amazing news um so a classic season to contend with uh, alongside twins yeah exactly so yeah this uh, if i fall asleep i'm sorry apologies already no it's it's good i'm looking forward to getting racing going and getting some rest Good. Um, well, on new beginnings then, um, and Team Sky. We've got uh, we've got some fairly substantial Team Sky rumours. Obviously, this is the the last season that Team Sky will be known as such in the Pro Peloton. Uh, it's been ten years of uh, well, fairly fabulous success that you've obviously played a, a major part in, Brad. Um, Don't blame me. Well, <laughs> uh, word is you started it all. Um, but the rumours are that Britain's richest man, Sir Jim Radcliffe, uh, will take on the squad from, uh, from 2020 onwards um, with his chemical company, Ineos. Mm. Well, I mean, it's um, obviously great news for everyone involved at Sky and the riders because, uh, you know, it's, 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 never, it's never a nice distraction to have at this stage of the year thinking about talking to your manager about where you're going to go next year and what kind of money you're going to be on. And, you know, as Adam knows, it's, one of, it's a big stress and it, it does play, a, you know, security is the biggest thing in cycling, knowing I've got a contract, I can do, all I have to focus on is cycling. And if you're a big player, the G's, the Frooms, you know, there's, there is a lot of big names in that team that would have potentially had to look for new sponsors. And they're limited places now with the amount of teams that have folded. 
you know, the money they're on, trying to find the same money. You know, people got mortgages, they've invested in big houses, this, that and the other. So it, it is a way. And I'm sure if that's, if that's true and it all comes off and signed and money's in the bank, then I, I think that'll be a big weight off of the likes of Grind through all these guys' shoulders before they go into, into the Grand Tours, really. And um, I mean, Adam will, will say, you know, that the contracts are never a nice thing to deal with, are they? No, never. I think, you know, it's not really the guys like G and Froome that are more worried about. It's the other guys like Puccio and the guys a little bit less who have been... They're in, still great riders, aren't they? Exactly, yeah, but it's those guys yeah. who have great money at Sky. Because they've not got any results in the last 10 years, they might take like half a salary knock, mm. which, you know, if you've got these big houses that a lot of people buy when they're pro bike riders, that you've got to keep paying that mortgage. It is a massive stress. And if you've got kids and all that kind of stuff, then, yeah, yeah it is, um, it's more of a worry for those guys and all the people involved around it. You know, you save Team Sky's probably got 100 people employed, mm. maybe, maybe more. And those all them people, if they had to go find a job, that's a lot less space is available in other teams as well you know these guys might go into another team the staff and then it's less space in another team so yeah it's an ongoing effect it's not just sky that if that ended it would affect it's a lot of other people in a lot of other different teams as well so if they have found that sponsor then it's yeah it's great news it's good news well it's it's unusual in in road cycling for a, a sponsor to stick around as long as they have right uh, so they've bucked a trend in a way but they've also bucked the trend from the point of view of it comes as as one complete package sponsor and infrastructure come together so this would seem to be like a pretty straight shot of Ineos putting their name on what is effectively Team Sky's jerseys and, and we're good to go, right? I'd say so, yeah. I don't think, if that's the case, I think it would just be a straight up, everything will be the same, might be a difference of changing the, the name on the jersey and everything will stay the same. And if it does, then it'll be the same sort of Team Sky it is now. They'll still be just as successful if they keep the same management, same process as they always have done. But I think if not, and they get have to get independent sponsors, that's when it can get tricky. And if they have a less budget, that's when it can really start to change a lot. You know, Sky set the example, and this sounds quite mean, but with the money they've got, it's easy to be a good manager or a good thing. You just buy the best. So I think if things start to change, they have to budget. I think that would have impacted on the sponsor they found as well. Yeah. I think I was talking about it earlier in the week that they... Dave will want to retain the control and, it, and, it, and it's Dave's way in terms of the way he manages the team, the way he set the team up. And I think he would have been reluctant to have a, another multinational company that came in that wanted it for the advertisement um, and the, you know, to get their name out there, but want, would want the control in terms of well, this is how we want to do it in terms of how we advertise our company. And I think that would have been a big point for Dave, which is in some ways it's an ideal situation. He's the richest man in Britain and... You'd imagine that the kind of money that they've asked for is nothing to him. Mm. Probably get it written off his tax bill. Well, I've just seen he's gone to Monaco with his money, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's based in the right place for him. Yeah, a, for so I think team. from this point of view, it's easy. This is a guy, I, I, I'm, not, I'm aware of this guy, I've never met him. He's got a house in Milk and he's really into cycling, rides his bike. Um, so th- I, I would imagine this is, this is someone who loves cycling and I'm, I'll put my money in. And much like Jerry Ryan and a few of the other, you know, the Australian millionaires that put their money in. So it's an ideal situation for Dave because he can, as we just said, he can continue running out this 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 team with all his you know plans and philosophies and and it, so it's an ideal situation for him and he's answerable to you'd imagine to, to one man who's who's his money you know and um, it, it will certainly help that team. Well, they can concentrate. I can on hear them. Twitter going mad now. My ears are burning. <laughs> well, hopefully. What did you just say? He's going to carry on in the same way as he always did. <laughs> uh, but the the riders, as we say, can can concentrate on the racing. Well, they now. can now. They, yeah. they I mean, don't it, need to worry about. It's only March, you know. You got someone like Grant Thomas who won the tour last year. Obviously, he was in high demand to go to another team, and he's decided to stay with Sky, sign a new contract, 
and as he signs, Sky announced they're pulling out. So he's like, "Well, that was my security, you know." And you know, you start building for the future, as Adam was saying. You start thinking about businesses post post career, and you plan all those things on the money you're earning for the period you're earning. So he would have been a worry for Garain, you know, and, and and those guys just, you know. But I'm sure behind the scenes, Dave, and that would have been reassuring. It's all right. I think we got something in the, in the bag, and hmm. you know, so. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a worry, but March now they can concentrate on the rest of the season and what what they're paid to do. You mentioned G there, so on on Geraint Thomas and on on Chris Froome, obviously those two with Simon Yates are the the three Brits who currently hold uh, the jerseys from all three Grand Tours. Uh, Froome obviously having won the Giro, uh, G having won the Tour, and uh, and Simon Yates having won the Vuelta at the end of last year. Are we looking? towards this season as, a, as another season of British dominance for the Grand Tours, or are we expecting something else? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's a big ask, and I don't think it's the be-all and end-all of, of, a, of a successful season. I mean, they're all different riders, although two of them are in the same team. They just happen to be British, you know. I think no one was expecting that last year. It just happened. It was like, oh, we've had three bits winners, mm. you know. Um, they'll all have their own goals. It's, I don't think it's a mark of... I don't think they have to do it again. It, it's, it's almost a meaningless stat, really, other than the fact what we already know is that British cycling is booming and we're one of the leading nations in the world uh, road cycling. Um, so I think they've got bigger fish to fry in terms of trying to keep that stat and, and, and achieve that every year. But, you know, I imagine Chris will be concentrating on the tour this year. He's certainly got another tour winning him on form. I don't know how that's going to sit with G, whether he wants to win a second tour. Obviously, G's not got the benefit of being able to go under the radar this year. That's a different pressure. That's a whole different expectation on him. Um, he's famous now outside of cycling, which adds another weight of pressure. So it's And then Simon has won the Vuelta. I wouldn't say it went unrecognised, but it, it didn't hit the news back home, certainly living in the UK like no. the other guys did. And it, it, it's a well, benefit yeah. to him, isn't it? He can now focus on the Giro. Yeah, know? and he's got his brother. That's the other thing. Everyone yeah. forgets about Adam. He's just as good as him, but he's just had a bad year last year. Yeah. He can win a Grand Tour as well. But I think that's the thing. It goes so unnoticed, not being in Team Sky, that what he's achieved like at the moment is leading Terreno. But no one's mentioned it. But if G was leading this or Froomey, it'd be all over national television. So it's not like these guys are doing better than Froomey and G at the moment, but it's just not out there as much as mm. is as G and thing you're doing. It's just because they're not as recognised. So they I don't think... publicise themselves. Like we said that last year, yeah. didn't we, that they're just pretty down to have guys. Yeah, definitely. And I think that can work in their advantage. You know, They haven't got all these pressures like Brad just said on them. They're not in the media as much, so they can really knuckle down to the job. And hopefully I'd like to see them challenge the other guys. You know, It'd be great if you mm. see both of them challenging G and Froomey at the tour rather than just it being an outright typical sort of sky battle as it has been for the past sort of five, six years, really. Yeah, I mean, to, uh, I mean, I think Simon's got unfinished business with the Giro after last year, so I think mm. he wants to conquer that one. Um, and then the difficulty of him coming into the tour and trying to replicate his Giro form, but then Adam is just as good and could potentially do something. But then we've seen Bernal, the way he's been going in Paranese, and Kwiatowski, and it, you find it, I can't really see anyone at this stage that can challenge Team Sky as a unit when we get to the Tour. I don't know who'll win it yet, but I can't see anyone really infiltrating and, and, and challenging them. Well, here's a question you, you were asked a lot back in the day. Who's the leader there? Who's the leader when they come to the Tour? I have no idea. I'd say Froome. I would, I would say Froome has got a fifth Tour winning him. Yeah, this is the thing. Fifth Tour is like a, it's huge, isn't it? If you win five yeah. Tours, you're in that sort of big league. So I reckon they'll go for him, but G's going to be right on the back legs. If, if anything happens, he'll be there and take it over. Mm. But I don't know if there's time trials in the Tour this year or whatever, but if there is, that would be sort of what it's down to, I can imagine, because it's sort of who's going to get those upper hand in those few seconds that might make the difference, because they're pretty split yeah. in the climbing abilities. 
the sort of time trial ability is very split. So it's going to come down to either luck, I reckon, or if nothing's split between them and there's a few seconds, I reckon they'll go for, mm. for Froomey for that fifth win. Uh, and Simon Yates can time trial now is the is the news from Paris Nice this week having having taken the stage. Yeah, I mean I think he's been working on it, you know. I think they've gone away, they've looked at it, they realized, you know, they put so much emphasis last so much talk about gaining time, gaining time in that Giro to get to that time trial t- in the expectation he was going to lose loads to Dumoulin. He didn't lose as much as he thought and then, you know, it, it basically ruined the second half of the Giro for him because the amount he spent in that in that first half. So I know that they th- they've been thinking about the decisive stages this year. Dumoulin's doing the Giro again, and so he's obviously been working on his time trial. And it, you know what a brilliant sign, early season to win the time trial in Paris Nice. You know, and I think that it's just as I say, he's, he's been away and and worked on what he perceives to be his biggest weakness. He's been on this remarkably consistent run as well since Paris Nice last year, Simon Yates. So he's won a stage in every single stage race that he's entered between Paris-Nice last year and Paris-Nice this year. So that takes in Catalunya, the Giro, um, obviously won three stages there and, and led the race for, for 13 of them. Uh, the Tour of Poland, the Vuelta, uh, the Ruta del Sol, um, and now we're back to Paris-Nice again. Is being able to maintain your maintain that focus, maintain that concentration, maintain that form, how difficult is that? When... Well, I don't think it's that difficult for him. I reckon he's, he's like modern Val- because I, modern I didn't Valdez, even know that, right? with my encyclopedia brain and that just shows you don't hear about that sort of stuff they go pretty much unnoticed yeah i think he went on northwest tonight when he won the volta last year you know because <laughs> a berry lad he's like a modern Valverde, it, you know, know isn't it's he? gm Froome that dominate the headlines and sky sponsorship and you never hear about you yeah. know he's not a massive social media you know stories putting himself out there they just crack on with it just crack on and even this week you know he's, I think he was about 40th GC yeah he's well he lost a lot of time early doors purposely or yeah, not who knows off. but he's you know he, he produced it in that time trial and I mean that, that speaks for itself you know can he produce as long as he stays in the environment he's in with the team around him you know you know Matt White yeah, yeah, and those yeah, guys yeah. That they're on the ball they get the job done that's amazing yeah. and I think you know like I just said a minute ago he's like the modern Valverde he's yeah. just winning every time he steps into a he race is. he'll win everything and I think Alessandro was the same every stage race he did he'd win a race so it shows how consistent he is it's not like he's just hitting these massive peaks every race he steps into if he's winning it shows like the form he can be in and shows how consistent he is he's building up to these big goals so definitely want to watch and I do hope he, he gets that Giro because it'd be good if he could you know back up another British win but sort of go back and win something that he almost got last well, he, year. He lit know, up yeah. the race and he came so close to doing it and yeah, then fell yeah, away. I, and I, I think we were all gutted for him. Yeah, I, I can't see him not, business. to be honest. You know, he's not someone who gets carried away with his own success. You know, he's, he, you know, him and his brother, I think as long as one of them win, they're both happy. Yeah, they're yeah, that yeah. close. And they just want to win. And they're not kind of into, you know, the limelight, fame, all these sort of things. It's just, just a couple of lads from Berry that are pretty grounded, good parents and love what they do and they're grafters. And they're really good bike races as well. Yeah. Talking of really good bike races, who else has caught your eye so far this season? Adam? Uh, Rodlick. Rodlick, I don't know how to pronounce Pr- it. Primoz the, uh, the ski jumper, yeah. yeah. He's going good. He obviously won UAE. He's up there in Terreno again now. So I'd say he's... And at the tour last year, he was, I think he was third or fourth. Fourth and, last fourth year. So, he's, so he, yeah. He, he put himself on the podium. Yeah. Uh, on stage 19, I think. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, at the tour, I think that was his second tour or third tour, so he's obviously getting a lot more experience as he goes along. But for me, he's going, yeah, he's going good at the moment, going a lot better than he was in the previous year. So I'd definitely say he's one to watch. Former ski jumper, of course, just, yeah. like, just like you, Brad. Yeah, sort of. 
Um, <laughs> but I think, I, I mean, I always have special mention to Quick Step again, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, they just continually keep winning races with different riders. Yeah, it's true. You know, and the opening weekend at Newsblad, um, obviously Stebar um, didn't win many races. He's always there or thereabouts. So for him to get a win like that was brilliant for him. Um, and then, of course, Bob Jungles as well, just keep Kerner getting better and better. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the ever-present Viviani, who just wins for fun nowadays. And, you know, they're just constantly there, quick step, and, and, and we're producing new riders all the time. You know, so with the loss of Boonen over the years and Terpstra and these guys, they still start winning with new riders. doesn't seem to matter, does it? You just the New riders pour into the same system and they get the same results. Is it, yeah, is I, think, it, I think there's a lot of love in that team from the management. Lefebvre is kind of oversees the whole thing and he's protective of his riders and they call themselves the wolf pack but they are kind of like a family and that reflects in the way they race in and obviously a lot of people might not agree with that i'm not saying i do i'm just saying that that's how they run and with the likes of brian holm and all these guys they're they're like a family and i think it reflects in the way they race yeah i'd say it's sort of like uh, they have a standard you know and if everyone's winning if you're so below par and you're not doing that job it's sort of like you're the embarrassment in the family so i'd say if sort of there's 10 15 guys who can really win in that team those guys and the guys around them if they're not at that level mm. it's almost like they should be ashamed that they're not at that level and I think that's what makes them so good is that if three of them can win they think well if he can win I'm as good as him I can win and that's how it all goes yeah. you know, every race they step into it's not like they have an out and outright leader but everyone can win you looked at Le Salmon they had four guys in the final there and I forgot the guy that won a French guy but he it's was Flor- Florian Seneschal yeah so he's been kicking around for ages but He's still a young guy, but he's obviously showed he can win a classic as well. So it's sort of that, that's the depth in Quipstep, which Lefebvre finds, mm. which not many other managers... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sort of the the classics version of Team Sky, are what they are in the Grand Tours, you know. They're dominant, and they are the dominant team. Are, are we at the point where other teams in the peloton are wondering whether it's worth it turning up for a one-day race? No, because... They wouldn't win the bike races without the other, the rest of the peloton, you know. Sure. And I think that's you know you can't you you can only win a race and be you know the best. Everyone tries as hard as the guy who finishes last. You just go faster, and we wouldn't have world champions and Tour de France winners without the rest of the field. So you have it, to remember as well in these classics, Sagan's not been in a classic yet, and that completely cha- changes the dimension of a race. You know, you've got all of those Bora guys riding for themselves at the mm. moment as such, where they completely switch to one guy, completely changes it, and it's like Luke Rose not being in a classic for Sky that also changes quite a lot. Van Avermaet, I think he only did one race, so you get yeah, those and big CCC guys. CCC didn't and, look like they'd really yeah. worked out who was who, you know, new team, bit of an amalgamation of a couple of teams, and there was a bit of, just didn't quite look like they had it together. I yeah. mean, whether they get it together in time for the classics, I don't know. But. Yeah, so I think with those guys, like you say, CCC and those other guys coming in, it completely chases the dynamic of a race, and if you get a couple of hitters like Sargon and Van Avermaet, a little bit with more support around him, completely change the dynamic of a race, and we'll see a completely different race than what we've seen so far, I reckon. I think we have to mention also Julian Alaphilippe, real star of the peloton at the moment, isn't he? He's a character, he's a personality, he's French, which is rare. Um, but, you know, you have to love him. I mean, he just he just seems to be getting better and better all the time. He has fun while he's doing it, and he's entertaining. And he just doesn't seem to have stopped since the tour last year. Yeah, he's um, like a French Peter Sagan. You know, and it's easy to be... a You get a bit deceived by the fact that he's winning and he's having fun, that he's a bit not very serious the way he takes... But, can tell you now when he goes away he must graft that lad and completely dedicated to his trade because you know you don't win races at the level he's been winning them and the way he's been winning them without putting the work in no way on Paris Nice then Brad obviously it's a race that you've won oh. it, it started your 2012 season really 
it's always a race that Team Sky look to win, it, it, it would seem. And it's a, ra- it's a race that they've got down almost to a, a scientific art. They know, they know exactly how, I mean, Bernal winning today, it's another perfectly executed race. There's nowhere to hide in Paranese. You know, my biggest challenge with Paranese, if I had the form, was always the weather. The minute it snowed or rained or it was two degrees and rained, I knew it was always over because I couldn't ride in the cold. So that was always my biggest challenge at Paranese. There's no hiding at Paranese. You've got to be there ready to race. You can't start Paranese thinking, I'm a bit off the form, I'll ride myself in and use this to race to get form. This is, this is like the first week of a Grand Tour and it's, it's a challenge, you know, with the weather, the climbs from the off. France is a horrible country terrain-wise. It is brutal when you get down through the middle of France. So by heading to Nice, you're going to hit these hills at some point and it's not to be taken lightly. So anyone who wins it or is up there or wins a stage or is going well towards the end, it's, it's a sign that well, not, not only that they're going well if they win it, but someone like Bardot finished fifth overall. That's perfect. We're in perfect position now looking to July. But Adam will tell you he's ridden it. It's brutal. It's probably hard on the terrain, would you say? Yeah, I think the main thing is it's just the stress of it. Mm. You get into that first week with it. Well, the first three days of them crosswinds, it's so easy in a crosswind to just go, sack it. That's it, I'm done. Third group, fourth group, you've lost seven minutes, that's your race over. So for Bernal to stay on it every day in that Mm. front group and fight, 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 and staying in that front group is like being in a bunch sprint for four hours. It is just constant fighting. So doing that hats off to him it's not an easy thing to do and being a climber and doing that is it's even harder than being a sprinter not that i'm taking anything away from him but he's got to nudge people out of the way he's really got to fight for his position so stay on it for i know it doesn't sound like long but six days like that yeah, yeah. mentally for such a young guy as well it is quite hard really so yeah it's it's a bloody tough race there's no easy races anymore are they no nah, not at all i think the it's like qatar almost Paris. Mm. it's like if you go in there a little bit under form it'll show straight away so it is typically that it's if you go in like brad said a tiny bit under form you've got nowhere to hide you'll be straight out of the back and that's that so i think for cav you know i think he's he's going in the di- right direction but i think he's just a little bit off that top form because we all know cav in a crosswind he's always at the front so he rides the winds really he rides well. the wind and he's playing yeah. catch up yeah. you know and we all wish him the best but he hasn't he hasn't had enough time we have to remember um he needs more time but this isn't now the period to you have no time in this period now once yeah. we're hitting the classics. It's breathless. And it's just relentless now. After the classics, you, you know, the Liège and Amstels, then it's Romandy, then it's the Giro. And before you know it, we're at the Tour, aren't we? That's the thing, yeah. And I think with Cav now, he's a lot he's a lot older than he was and I think he has to remember that. So I think for him, he's sort of take a, a back step and just concentrate on the important thing, which for him is the Tour and just focus and get ready for that. So, yeah, he's um, still a champion, isn't he? So yeah. don't write him, off. You know, never yeah. write him off. Never write him off. Well, to round out the podium for Paris Nice, then. So Mikhail uh, Kwiatkowski, who uh, it looked for all the world was was he started the race so well, it looked like he was going to finish first, and he looked like Sky's main man for the week. Um, obviously, Bernal has come in, um, so number one on the podium, um, and Nairo Quintana number two. Uh, do we think Nairo can do something this year? Well, I was surprised to see him up there, really, in a race like that. As I was saying how hard it is, and we've talked about crosswinds and the likes of Luke Rowe and that. I mean, that, that's, that's a good sign for Nairo. Um, I'd say he's gone unnoticed as well. Like, I never really saw... I just thought, when I saw him attack today in that last stage, I just thought, oh, he's just trying to get, you know, top five. I thought he'd lost loads and loads of time. So to see him up there is quite a... It's not a shock, but with all those crosswinds the first three days, it is a little bit of a shock to see him so far up there. So obviously... He's going well and he's in the right track for the tour. Yeah, at the and moment. It, you know, it's not a race you associate with the Quintana, but at the same time, you know, Colombia have got one and two in Paris Nice. Um, not for the first time, I think a couple of years ago they certainly got one. So, you know, they're, they're an incredible dominant nation at the moment. I know they're all in different teams, but it's, um, 
it shows well for the Grand Tours, definitely, the first two guys anyway. All right, well, that's a nice uh, end point to part one. Plenty more to come on the Bradley Wiggins Show right after this. In 2019, cycling fans across Europe will be able to watch over 30 UCI World Tour events live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player, available on the app and online via eurosport.co.uk. Eurosport Player also allows viewers to catch up and relive all the action on demand. Eurosport will bring fans unrivaled expertise and analysis from all the best moments of the 2019 season. The new season then, back with a bang. We've seen a few crashes at Paranese and at Treno Adratico already, uh, but perhaps none more spectacular than Alexei Lysenko winning stage four yesterday at Treno Adratico. Uh, he gave us something of a minor classic in stage racing terms, certainly. The Astana rider went clear on a solo break with 38 kilometres to go. He crashed twice, but bounced back up to claim the most miraculous of stage wins. Uh, it was a lumpy old day uh, and a long one, 223 kilometres, uh, with a difficult drag to the finish, outsprinting Primoz Roglic. He outsprinted Adam Yates and his own teammate, Jakob Fulsang. Uh, Gents, I do want to hear your thoughts on this, but before we do, we've got the clip here uh, on Eurosport, of course, because I'm not sure any of us are going to do it justice quite like our man Colton Kirby does on the commentary. Here he is. Oh, he's got it in. Second time down, he's back up, he's going to clip in, but that's the end of his day, I'm afraid. Uh, Ten seconds advantage, second time he's slammed on the deck. A heartbreak for him. Can Lushenko crash twice and get back on? That sort of thing only happens in the, in the movies. Lushenko is, that's going to go for it. What? How brave is that? Lushenko's going. Can Lushenko make it all the way? This would be amazing. Oh, my goodness, he's only gone and done it. Twice on the deck. says thank you very much and you know what we say it right back at him that was brilliant don't worry we found uh, a valium for colton shortly after the riders crossed the line um Litsenko was the entertainer yesterday uh, but gents when you hit the floor like that you don't want to get back up do you well i mean your instinct is to get up you know i think the first thing you think is uh, have i broken anything i think if you always go through everything and if you can put your arms out and pick yourself up you realize you haven't done anything. And then I think the second thought then is to check your bike. Can I, can, can I get back on the thing and ride it? And then you get on. Your, your instinct is always to get on, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, I think just get on as quick as you can. But those crashes that he had, his first one, he rode up a bank and he didn't dismount. So he's no injury. But he's out in the front, you know. He's got a lot on the line. He's been out for such a long time leading the race. That, yeah. You know, his last 10K going down a hill, he's only got 10 minutes of effort left. So I think the him is adrenaline. I think the second crash probably hurt more because it was just a full sliding on the corner, slapping off and landing on his shoulder. But yeah, the main thing is, I think with crashing normally for me, it's the people behind. So mm. you hit the deck and it, unless you've hit it really hard, you've got guys that are going like 60K an hour behind you that you're like, if you crash, you've got someone in your back normally straight away. So for me, it's sort of like, down quick as you can get up and then assess so obviously if you're knackered you can't get up that quick but yeah I think the main thing is just get up and get back on as soon as you can and then you'll quickly find out if you've got a problem or two he's, he's just over a K from the finish for that second one and he must have felt you've got Roglic Adam Yates and well, his teammate Fulsang breathing down his neck at that point the, the gap then was 10 seconds uh, but to feel like that that stage win was in reach and then to feel like he must have felt like it was gone, but then to find the the strength from somewhere to get back up and get back going again. But as both crashes were almost in perpetual motion, at no point did he come to a, an absolute stop. You had ever had the adrenaline kick in quite like that? 
I'd say every crash, every crash, you sort of like get back up straight away and like, right, I need to get back on. Yeah. But I think in his situation there, I don't know, for me, if you're solo, which I've never been because I'm not that rider, it's always nice to win solo. There's something about winning solo where you can sort of take your time to relax and sort of enjoy it rather than, it's like you've won that bunch sprint. I think it was Romandy. Yeah. It's, sort of, yeah. it's an amazing feeling when you do it, but it's so quick that you don't really have that emotion. And I think if you're riding solo into a finish, it's a lot more emotional and you can really enjoy it a lot more. So I don't know, for him getting back up that quickly and then winning in a sprint, it's, it's obviously amazing what he did, but I think winning solo would have been a lot more enjoyable, really. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't, obviously, you don't crash on purpose. So, you know, the last kilometre, he'd have had the radio, he'd have had time checks, this, that and the other. The only thing on his mind was getting to that finish line. And so to crash... It would have happened so quickly, and his instinct would have been not, you know, to see if I'm hurt, you know, how's the bike. It would just, and he'd get back up as quick as I can and try and cross the line, you know. Um, another crash that hit the headlines at Trenno Adratico was, of course, the team time trial uh, on stage one uh, when a pedestrian wandered in front of the Bora Hansgrohe team. I mean, they're going at a serious lick here. 60Ks in the wet, impossible for them to do anything when a, uh, a spectator, well, I say a spectator, he wasn't, he wasn't watching, obviously. Um, but when someone walks out in front of you like that, there's very little you can do about it, is there? It, it happens, and you've got to be aware all the time, you know. And if it's not a person, it's a dog. And if it's not a dog, it's a cat. But the worst thing about it is when you're in a team time trial, you're in the line, and all you're focusing on is the wheel in front of you. They're not aware of what's happening up ahead, so it could have been devastating for the whole team, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, it's that horrible thing. Someone's in the middle of the road, you've got a split decision to go, he's going to stop, so I'll go right, and he's, no, he's carrying on crossing, so they've gone right and hit him anyway. If they'd have just stayed straight, they probably wouldn't have hit him. And it's you've got a split second to make that decision, it's not something you anticipate, you know? It's like if you get told before the start, someone's going to walk across the road, so just be aware of that. You know, it's, it's, it's all instant, yeah, you've got to make yeah, a split yeah. decision. Horrible, though, in that situation. Obviously, it's ne- nothing you ever expect. And in that situation, you go into it full effort. You know what time trials like, team time trial, especially you are start to finish on the limit. So there'll have been, even if you might have saw it coming, you could be so knackered that you're like, I can't get my brakes or whatever, you know. It's stupid crashes, those ones. Obviously, that's, we know, part of the joy of cycling is the uh, ability for spectators to get that close to the action. is something you don't see in, in any other sport. No. How off-putting is it when you've got, you know, you're, you're on a climb, for example, and you've got guys running up alongside you? Well, it, it's a safety issue for the riders. I mean, especially if they get out of hand like they did with Chris Froome at the Tour last year we were speaking about, and they decide to, they want to hit him or take something out on him. And then with the flares and things, and there's repercussions. They all rode through the flares. Nibbly broke his back. These are people's livelihoods on the line here. And, and uh, you know, as, as I wouldn't say it's comical because it's never nice for someone who hits them. But in, in, in the aftermath, it's like, oh, this guy was half asleep crossing the road. Now, last week we were speaking, I was speaking on another thing about Jack Grealish getting punched in, in the Villa match, you know, and that was horrific because it could have been a hell of a lot worse. But the talk after that of we need more safety issues at grounds, you know, at what point are we going to... With cycling, we just don't get that. There's no outrage. We're too busy worrying, moaning about other stuff, you know. And that will just go now, and it will happen again. Um, and it will happen again at the tour. And someone will get out of hand and hit someone. And, and we're not going to fine, like they talked about in foot. We're not going to fine Torino. We're not going to... Because they got no money anyway, you know. And it's like we need these races. So it's part and parcel of cycling. It's never been any different, and it will carry on. And we kind of just put up with it, really, um, until something horrific happens. Like when Froome, obviously, it was played off because he didn't really get hurt. But at some point, someone is, you know, some, and it takes one, doesn't it? Well, it was a gendarme who, uh, who hauled Froome from his bike 
uh, yeah. on, his, on his way. Yeah, exactly. On yeah. his way down the climb yeah. after the after the race finished because it was yeah. a mountain top finish. Adam, you ever been in a position where you felt particularly uncomfortable? Anything spring to mind in terms of uh, spectators getting too close? Uh, I'd say the worst is going through Holland. You go through Holland, you're going through these towns, and you're doing like six k an hour through a town, and you've got people, or even in England, wherever you are, really, it's people who are drunk. <laughs> People who are drunk stick their arms out for a big selfie and they don't realise because they're looking at the phone or through the camera lens is how close you are to him. And it's that when you're at the side of the road and you've got like a millimetre, two centimetres of room, that's when you can wipe out a whole Belgium's bunch. quite bad as well, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's all those countries that are flat and fast. Belgium, Holland, sort of northern France. It's just when there's a lot of people. Yorkshire, that's also a bad one. Yeah, I mean, it's just Britain during the tour. Isn't it? It's a nightmare. But I always found Belgium like the spectators will line the route and they anticipate where the riders are going to ride, and then the riders come at them, and they're on the pavements, they're on the bike path. And the yeah. best one is always either someone in a wheelchair or a baby in a pram. <laughs> they automatically jump out the way and leave the pram or the wheelchair out in... You know, you're nowhere, heading towards yeah, a pram because yeah, yeah. they're just, just like abandoned un- Untouchables. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's horrific, you know, at the time, because you, you don't want to be responsible for no. hitting someone. Um, so, again, it's part and parcel of cycling. That's why people love it. On flat and fast, then, um, as you say, Adam, as a, as a sprinter, as the, the fast man here, um, who's caught your eye this season? Um... It's not really anyone that's caught my eye. It's just people that are getting faster, really. I mean, Gronerwegen's been fast the last couple of years. So's Elia. But I think Viviani's come a lot more dominant. He's winning sort of every sprint he goes into now, along with Gaviria. Gronerwegen, Caleb's coming in. But it's sort of like that. Viviani's been knocking at the door a little bit now, but they've sort of made their step as Cav was 10 years ago. There's a new generation like, now, yeah. isn't there, that have now passed the baton and Cav and Greipel are kind of... Yeah, yeah going, a bit old. It feels yeah. like that, doesn't it? Sam it Bennett, like we saw Sam Bennett again the other day. They're, they're getting consistent now, aren't they? Yeah, they're, so I'd say those two are sort of the new generation and there's people like Caleb that are knocking on the door, Sam Bennett's knocking on the door again. That's the next generation behind them. But I'd say definitely Viviani is out and out the favourite the fastest sprinter this year. maybe not the fastest but the cleverest and he's going to end up with the most wins I'd say so when I was in with Sky with Cav and that Cav always wanted he was quite specific about how he wanted his lead out he said just get me to here or put me on this person's wheel or whatever now when you're doing the lead out who does Caleb who are you looking are you looking for Cav still gripe or is it now the new I need to be near Viviani yeah I guess nowadays with Caleb what he wants is just getting in position minimum energy maximum not satisfaction not necessarily a wheel just a position no just a position yeah. you get him in so you don't know what can I Viviani's like one of the hardest people to follow you could drop him off on Viviani's wheel in 1k to go and you might come 20th and Elia might win. Look at uh, stage two and down under this year. Elia won by going on the barriers and beating everyone. Caleb was like 10th. So I'd say it's not a case of putting him in position. It's a case not of getting on a wheel. It's putting him in position. You yeah. get him into that position, 500 to go. And it's and almost no like... one train anymore, is there? No, that's Everyone the used to sit behind the one train. Yeah. Now it's... they're coming up the sides and it's five teams across the road. Yeah. It's like racing. five teams until a K to go. And then it's all of a sudden you see the sprinters all come into lines. You never see a lead out anymore apart from quick step. They're the only ones that nail it. Everything else is just you've got Gaviria, Sargon, Viviani, Caleb, all in a line ready to do a sprint. So it's changed a lot. But I'd say the main thing is these days is just keeping your sprinter on your wheel fresh as possible and then getting them the max out of it. It's not like the old days where you fish for your position. It's just a case of like it's almost like a team time trial, but a chaotic yeah, one. Yeah. Sit on that wheel, follow the wheel, no matter what, leave them to go with five. You think it's getting more dangerous? I'd say it's getting more dangerous in the fact that it's getting faster. Yeah. People are losing respect. There's no sort of hierarchy in people, sort no. of, oh, there's Cavendish lets him through. Like, if you watch the sprints now, Cav is just getting battered out of the way like yeah. he's no one, you know? So it's it's definitely getting more dangerous, but I'd say it's getting more dangerous. That's through. a big change, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because I remember when I, mean, I turned pro, you wouldn't get near Cipollini in a sprint. You wouldn't dare get near him, let no. him do his job. 
But now everyone, there's, there is no hierarchy. It doesn't everyone, matter who you are. Yeah. You, can win. you can just batter anyone. No matter who you are or who it is, you can move someone out of the way. And it's when it gets like that, it becomes a lot more dangerous. It's not the fact that it doesn't really matter. If you're fast, you need to make a, a stand for yourself and show how good you are. But at the same time, you think if there's 30 guys in that last kilometre all in a little bubble who are trying to fight to do the same thing, then it gets, yeah. Well, Caleb's finished second and a very, very close second twice at Paris-Nice this week. Um, Dylan Grunewagen has won twice. And, of course, Sam Bennett at Bora has also won twice. Um, so are, the, are those the three we're looking at alongside Viviani? I mean, obviously, we have to mention, uh, if we're going to talk about Bora, uh, there's there's a name that we've not mentioned so far uh, today in, in Peter Sagan. What are we expecting from him this season? Are we, uh, are we expecting another green jersey? I mean... It's I'd his, say so, it? yeah. I'd say the main guy that you missed out of there is Gaviria. Yeah. He's the fastest guy on the planet. Well, apart from Elia, I'd say he's the fastest guy and probably the strongest as well. He's a guy similar to Gronaway. And Gronaway can do a long sprint. He always goes early and he'll always hold the pace. He won't die. Similar to Kittle three years ago when he was in quick step. He could start and hold that pace like no one. So I'd say Fernando's faster than um, Gronaway. Do you think he looks better this year, being, having ridden with him in the peloton than that? Because I, I always, I, I wasn't sure how that move was going to go to UAE. You know, I didn't know whether yeah, I was a bit he the was same, better at Quickstep. We spoke about how Quickstep managed their riders, and I wasn't sure just how that move was going to go. Yeah, I think so. I think, like you said, a lot of guys that go leave Quickstep sort of come out of it, and they're never really the same rider. No. But Fernando's come out of it, and he is got better. Yeah, he's almost got better, but he's after. I think he's only 24, 25, so he's still super young. So he's definitely getting. I think he's getting better as he gets older, but he's obviously, I think a lot of sprints, if he was in the form he's in now in quick step, I think he'll have won two, three or four races more maybe. So just looking ahead then, San Remo next week, who are we looking at for the for the win? I'd personally like to see um, Eliana Viviani win it. Um, mm. I think he climbs well enough. He's Italian champ. You know, he's, he's, he should win a San Remo really in his career. Um, it, it, everything's sort of there for him to win it. But Sam Remo has become a different... We've seen a lot of breakaways get to the finish in the last few years. And, yeah. you know, it used to be a sprinter's race and, and people are now disrupting that. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, we saw Nibali last year, the way he won. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of sprinters that are going to want it. Gavir, it's between him and Gavira. It's got to be between Gavira and Viviani as the sprinters. But obviously, there'll be other people that have something to say about that. Yeah, definitely. I think with Sam Remo, is it's like like you say, it's either going to be a sprint or a breakaway. And the, there's like two types of sprinters now. I find is like you've got the super fast guys, Elia, Fernando. They can like they can climb as well. But then there's like Cobrelli and Trentin, and they can really climb. You know, so I think if those guys get over the climb, then it's going to be and in a smaller group, then it'll be a completely different race. But if you know, Quick Step and uh, UAE keep it together, then definitely I'd put my money on. I'd probably say Gaviria, but I should say K. Caleb, yeah. he's my teammate. Well, Caleb, well, he's sorry, another one. Mate. He yeah. kind of, you know, put him in the right position. He was second last year, you third know? the year before. So yeah, I don't know why I've not mentioned him. Really, sorry, mate. Um, so yeah, I'd definitely say him. But you, you never know with that race, like you say. You never know. Nibbly won last year with a. A lot of it depends on the weather as well, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't put it past Cav to win the bloody thing, you know. Oh, sorry, yeah, I can't say bloody, can I? But yeah, I, th- I think we're okay with that. Yeah. Ten so years we... actually since Cav won San Remo this year, which is when he beat Hausler. So. And that was by a matter of inches as well. Yeah, so just, you know, you think, God, 10 years have gone past and uh, we're still talking about Cav. You kind of you forget how long he's been around and that he's actually won Milan San Remo. So. And how young he is. He's, I know it's young. 33, is he 33, 34? 34, 34 in May, yeah. I think, yeah. But it's still not old, is it? And he's been around a long time. Wow, he won San Remo, he's 24 then. Yeah. Adam, you were saying earlier that you thought Cav should go back to the track as uh, as perhaps a, a way to build himself back up again. Yeah, I think for Cav, you know, I think being in that setup of 
It's almost been bullied into training for Cav. I think as he's getting older, things are getting harder and his racing's progressing. Everything's getting so much more intense now. And I think for Cav, when he had, when he did the um, Rio Olympics, he was on the track for just over a year. And he's sort of, it's not bullied into training, but you're so structured, you've got everything there for him. And I think as everything, when you get older, gets a little bit harder. And I think bike riding especially has gotten a lot harder than it was six, seven years ago. So I think for Cav getting back on the track and having that, that leg speed and bringing up that sort of high-end power is definitely going to do him good. So I'd say personally, for me, Cav being in that environment, if he's sort of made to do something rather than told to do something, he's a lot better off it. So for me personally, I don't know what you think, you might think the same or not. But Yeah, I think, I think he had his pretty best year really in 2016 where he was training on the track constantly, went back training with Rod Ellingworth. Yeah which has always been successful for him. Um, and I think he realised, you know, just, just how much that gave him because he was untouchable in the Tour that year. And, he, you know, he's gone back. It just shows how much, you know, he, how much commitment he's having now to try and get back to where he was after all this illness and crashes. And so he's trying. He's doing everything possible. It's just mm. whether he's got enough time now with the season well underway and the amount of time he had to have off last year. Sticking with the track then, Brad, um, and this is the first show we've done since Victor Campenatz. Uh, Adam, your teammate at, at Lotto Sidal, uh, announced that he's going to have a crack at the hour record in Mexico next month. Um, so it's, it's your hour record at the moment, Brad. Um, you did it in London at the Olympic Park, of course. Uh, is it cheating doing it at altitude, given the benefit that will give him? Well, it's not cheating because, you know, the rules are you can do it wherever you want. I mean, it, you know, it's free to do it wherever you want. He wants to do it altitude. Altitude's not as easy. I mean, it does come with its, you know downside and side effects you know you've got to, you, less air and so you have to be ready for it if you're going to do it at altitude if you are ready for it and you adapt to it then potentially you can go faster but look it's the, the hour record's the hour record if you did it on the watt bike if you did it on you know on the roads it's, it's an hour it's hard you know there is no easy way of doing it so it's not cheating from that point of view um you know he's got to go out there for however many weeks before it and prepare for it and get ready for it um and it is what it is, you know. I think he's he's got a great... I think if he starts it, he'll do it because you won't start the hour record if you don't think you can do it or you've got some sign that you've done in training that you're going to do it. You know, it's it's brutal. You either do it or you fail. There is no second place in the hour record. And it, you don't want to get half an hour into it and be off the pace and know you're not going to do it. So it's. Uh, I think he'll do it. I think it'll be good for the sport if he does it. It's come up to four years since I did it and it's not gone anywhere. It needs to move on. It keeps the hour record in the public eye. You know, I, I wouldn't want it laying dormant for 10 years, you know, in, in the sort of vein that I've still got the hour record. You know, I think it, the sport has to progress. New names. This guy's a lovely lad. I know some of the team that are working around him and Kevin De Weert and that. And he's Belgium. I think it'd be great for Belgium cycling as well. Someone, a new name that no one's really ever heard of. So good luck to him, you know. What do you think of his chances, Adam? He's a, a teammate of yours or they possibly haven't seen that much of him given that he's been training in uh, in Namibia yeah um, I don't really know really I've not seen much of him I know he's obviously good he's European champion twice and uh, at the time trial I know that he's done a few tests and I know that he's held your pace for half an hour still yeah. so he's obviously he's obviously been thinking about this for a long time and he's obviously committed to it and he's obviously going in the right direction but I've it's not my cup of tea this and it's not something I'd ever try and do so it's completely different but I can imagine you know, the first half an hour is the easy half hour. <laughs> well, I think what, what people do is they talk about it. They say, yeah, I think I could do the hour record. But they don't just go up blindly and do it. You know, the first thing they'll do is they'll go and do a test and they'll try 10 minutes at the pace. And 10 minutes in training always feels harder than it does in the race. So people always come up and go, God, that, yeah, that's actually quite hard. I don't think I could, you know. So it, it frightens people off initially when you get up and have to try and hold 54.5k an hour for 10 minutes. But 
he's been working on it. He's been persistent. He's gone back. You know, they've done the numbers. They've done the work. You know, he's prepared for it properly. You know, he's sacrificed the whole early part of the season basically to do this. Um, and I, I, as I say, if they're going to travel all the way out there and do this thing, they're, they're going to be pretty confident they can do it because otherwise you just wouldn't do it. Um, he wouldn't invest the time and the effort and, and the money to do it. So I think if he starts, he'll do it. What sort of condition were you in when you took it on in 2015? As, as good as I could be at that time. I maybe wasn't as good as I was in 2012. Or, but then I, I say that. I, I won the Worlds four months, five months, six months before it. Time trial. So I was, I was pretty good at that point. I was as good as I could be at 35 years of age or whatever I was, you know, under those conditions that day, which weren't ideal. But I did it in front of that crowd, and, and it's always there. And it was so I always find this fascinating. We're good friends with Yatesy, both of us. And Sean's a, an old pro, you probably know. And Sean always speaks about you as a machine, and he always racks off what's in his Sean yeah, Yates yeah. voice that you can do. And he always talked about your Olympic time trial, which I'm going to rack off a few numbers here. 480 watts for an hour. No, 469. 469, which I can't even do for five minutes, minutes yet. 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Don't, don't, let's not exaggerate. Let's not do the newspapers. It's sensational, right, is it? 469 for 50 minutes. Which is, oh, I can't do for five minutes, really, but I can just. So that's unbelievable. Yeah, and the hour's 450. 450. Yeah. But I think the rumours I've heard about your hour record is you're on for almost 56 if the conditions yeah. were super. Yeah. Which I think... A lot of people, you know, look at what you did, but it shows how bad the conditions were yeah. and people forget that. So, so, I think so you sort of find all this out when you start doing it. You're dictated by how fast you can travel through the air by the air pressure. So anything under a 1,000, whatever it is, millibars or whatever, is, is pretty quick. And if that's, so if that's a thunderstorm outside, the pressure will drop and it's the ideal conditions. I had 10.36. It was the hottest weekend on record for May at the time <laughs> or June. Yeah. And it was the highest ever recorded pressure in London for 36 years or something. So it was the worst thing and so that slows you down. You physically do not travel through the air for that power. Um, and, it, yeah, it was tough, you know. Um, so I had realised pretty soon early on that I couldn't do 55-7 or whatever I wanted to do. We had to back off to that. But I was fortunate that the record was only at 53 dead, so I knew I had a lot. But it's, if I was chasing a 54.5 record, you know, that adds an extra pressure half an hour to go because you're just on that record. Is that what you wanted to do, 55-7? Roughly, yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, so... Or go close to Chris, but that would have been a bit on that position anyway yeah, yeah. at that time. But do you think? But if I you've certainly had... want to go further than Rominger, you know. If you had Chris's bike, what do you reckon you could have done? I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? Go on, have a. It's like oh. saying if I was a woman, how many kids would I have had? <laughs> I just don't know, you know. It, yeah, I... I know what you mean. Do you think they should I, bring... I might not have been able to ride in that position? Yeah, I was always true, comfiest yeah. in that time trial yeah. position. That's why I could time trial because I was. I, it, 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 it felt natural to me that position. Some people just can't hold the position, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the footage true. of you showed a few weeks ago on Instagram. Mate, I was looking so, good there, mate. Thanks you know, very much. Campanats, so though, one thing I will say, he's not a physical specimen in terms of the amount of power he can boost, like an Ian Stannard or someone like that. But what he has got, he's got this extremely aerodynamic position, an efficient position. So he doesn't have to average 450 watts to do the hour. He's like Chris Boardman. Because mm. he's so aero, I think Chris only had to average 400 watts to do his hour record. So it's about efficiency, not necessarily how physically strong you are. And he's super aerodynamic. His numbers are really low in the air, in the wind tunnel and all that, which has more bearing sometimes than, than maybe how physically good you are. What's your memory of riding the track in front of the crowd? Because essentially all it was was a man on a bicycle going round and round a track for an hour. Yeah. It shouldn't uh, logically have created the same atmosphere that yeah. it did, but it was this I mean, wall it, it of was, noise that It was a commercial around. exercise, you know. Was, that's why I did it in London, you know. If I wanted to go, I would have done it in Manchester probably because it's a faster track, pressure's always lower. But it was like, oh, we do it on the Olympic track and we'll sell out the house and do it. So it was more 
a public exercise really um, rather than doing it behind closed doors and picking your day on the weather and all that so it was what it was for that day and he did it and it sent everyone home happy and you know you can always think well I could have done it another week later somewhere else and gone for it again while I had that form but I just wanted to do it once I wasn't bothered about putting it out of sight it was what it was for that day and you'll always be the hour record holder even if someone comes along and breaks it I remember you saying at the time you were you went for a haircut that morning mm. Uh, to, for your marginal gains. Yeah, I'd went out my head shaved. Yeah, but the uh, the hairdresser apparently did, didn't really recognise you. And no, and he just said, what, doing... what are you doing today then? Yeah. Didn't say anything, you know. Nothing, just having to wander around, you know. But that's 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 like the, <laughs> the, the, the mundaneness of like our sport and what, you know, that you go and do an hour record. And I probably didn't have the energy or the capacity to explain to him. If I'd have said to him, I'm going to go and do the hour record, he'd have said, what's that, you know? And then I'd go, you know, I can't really be bothered to explain to you the whole, because you're just focused on what you're going to do that day. No one, so, yeah. no, one, no one likes a hairdresser that talks to you too much anyway. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was good. It was a great experience. All right. Well, I think that's about it from this first episode of Series 2 of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. We'll be back next Monday. Until then, thanks, Brad. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. And, Adam, thank you. We won't see you next Monday, but we will see you again very, very soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. From me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. 